good news is the security industry is working and technology is helping. The bad news is the, the bad guys haven't stopped and we need a village to keep making sure the world is safe. This is C-Suite, the podcast where you'll hear stories from real people, leaders, and cybersecurity experts about how to stay connected and protected. Every episode, we'll explore different cyber challenges and highlight the many ways we can enhance our online security, reduce the likelihood of attacks, and improve our digital confidence. I'm your host, Claudette McGowan. Today, cybercrime is a global challenge. A recent cybersecurity report estimates that by 2025, cybercrime will cost the world $10.5 trillion per year. From ransomware to phishing and identity theft, these cybercrimes can impact anyone at any age. It's no surprise then that cybersecurity has become a major point of interest for organizations and individuals alike. Companies are starting to spend more on threat prevention tools and software, while individuals are trying to navigate the potential for cyber attacks in their digital lives. On today's episode, we're going to do things a bit differently. We sat down with Sanjay Poonin, Chief Operation Officer of VMware, to discover the many defense strategies that we can use to prevent cybercrime in our everyday lives we'll be hearing real-life scenarios from previous episodes of the C-Suite podcast. Then, Sanjay will help us explore defense strategies for each scenario. To start, we asked Sanjay about his perspectives on the biggest cyber threats today. When we look at these cybersecurity threats, there's certain things that you learn from them that are very avoidable. I think many of the things that have had to do with exfiltration of data, from identity systems that didn't have multi-factor authentication. That is, I mean, I'd like to see every single place have multi-factor authentication. It's not that hard to do. And increasingly, your fingerprint and your retina scan is in a very unique second factor of authentication or a third factor of authentication that's unique to you. You'd have to physically cut my thumb off and pluck my eye out to replicate Sanjay Poonin. While the first forms of second factor authentication are mother's maiden name, a text message to your phone. Those are all good. But I'm surprised how much credit card fraud still exists. Uh, it's happened to me. It's happened to many people I know. And somebody just needs to know your number. Uh, somebody needs to know that three-digit uh, number at the back of that credit card, and they're off to glory ordering potentially until you notice it. Now, credit cards have gotten smarter. They put chips on it and so on and so forth. But imagine if every transaction, now this would create some viscosity, but if every transaction required a dynamic three-digit number that was sent to your phone. I mean, if you were ordering on the web, unless you were ordering in person with the card. So I'm hoping that all of the consumer and the enterprise use cases of security will take some of that basic form of authentication, access, and identity very seriously. Uh, and then listen, some of these attacks that have happened most recently, like SolarWinds, which are you know softer supply chain ones, those are most sophisticated and harder to detect. But even there, there are some lessons that we all learn. So we're constantly asking ourselves from the number of cyber attacks, big or small, because there are many that we see. I mean, we the number of events that VMware sees is in the trillion of events. 
given the sensors and the, the information that we have in, in people's infrastructure or state. But beyond that, there's several of these big events that happen. We're always asking ourselves, what can we do with technology to prevent that from happening? What is the cybersecurity industry doing about these more sophisticated attacks? Sanjay says the main focus for chief security officers is making sure that security is integrated holistically across all systems and daily habits. We asked him to explain further. There will be five, 10 key partners that a chief security officer will want to work with. But for many of these key control points, the network, the endpoint, a workload, identity, devices, the, the ones that we have connection to the surface area, we're gonna make security more intrinsically integrated into those control points and holistic end-to-end zero trust. And you know, the analogy I often use, there's a lot of parallels between security and healthcare is if you went to a doctor and you asked her, how do you stay healthy? And she said, you've got to have 5,000 tablets. You just couldn't do that even if you were to pop a tablet in every 30 seconds. So the way you stay healthy is you have a good diet. You eat your vegetables, your fruit, your proteins, you drink your water. And then maybe you have five to 10 supplemental vitamins as opposed to 5,000. And that's what security needs to be. It needs to be more intrinsically part of your diet. And then on top of that, you may have a handful uh, of key security tools that you need. And then we've got to, as a community, because it takes a village to fight the bad guys, chief security officers ourselves, continue to train people on how do they get rules of cyber hygiene really part of their day and life. You know, it may not be a good idea to have your password be ABC123. You may want to have a two-factor authentication built into all of your systems. Uh, you may want to encrypt your data that's sitting in a public cloud, especially if it's consumer data. These are all examples of rules of cyber hygiene that we've been very articulate in working with our chief security officers to educate the world. And I think the fight against the bad guys is, you know, is getting better. Good news is the security industry is working and technology is helping. The bad news is the, the bad guys haven't stopped uh, and we need a village to keep, uh, you know, keep in making sure the world is safe. On previous episodes of C-Suite, we broke down specific cyber issues ranging from ransomware to phishing and even cyberbullying. For today's episode, we sat down with Sanjay to deconstruct these attacks through the lens of defense strategies and safety. Let's start with scenario one, implants. In our very first episode, we met Kevin Mandia, the CEO of a cybersecurity firm called FireEye. They experienced a major breach in 2020. In case you missed it, here's Kevin explaining what happened. First off, with SolarWinds and the implant, it's very rare in my whole career where someone proves an implant like we did in this case, where we found 4,000 lines of code and we can show that it happened. It's very expensive for the attacker to have this kind of implant. It was somebody logging into our network using a valid credential, you know, a user ID and passphrase that worked, but they were using a newly registered phone for that account. And one of our security professionals, you know, internal security employees, they noticed, hey, this person has two phones registered to them. Why is that? And called the person up and literally said, hey, why do you have two phones registered? And I don't know exactly how the conversation went. They might've just asked, hey, is that you really logging in? And the person said, no. And that was our trigger. And what was interesting to me 
is the severity level for somebody accessing our network that had multiple devices was a severity level of zero. For those familiar with the decimal system, zero is a low number. In hindsight, it probably should be a higher severity level. Was the fact that the whoever was doing this had to have already been in our network. They had chosen to go back out of it, and they were choosing to access our network the way we do. But what could FireEye and other organizations have done to protect themselves and their clients? We asked Sanjay for his thoughts. I think the one thing I'd start off by saying something like that makes should make every company humble because there should be no sense of disdain for. Solar winds, oh, you know they got. It could happen to any of us. And the bigger your brand, the more likely you are a target of somebody. So first off, there's tremendous empathy to help. That's one. You start with a position of 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 humility and hunger, as opposed to a sort of arrogance. Because you know, if you're arrogant, my prediction is you will fall. How the proud fall is sort of that saying. And then I think what we do want to do is learn what are things that we could systematically do. To ensure that this type of sophisticated software supply chain attack does not, and I come back to some of these cyber hygiene rules, right? Uh, access authentication, multi-factor authentication, identity systems that prevent that from happening in a very easy fashion, encryption, patching, ensuring that you've got, uh, you know, a intrinsic platform, uh, you know, that connects the endpoint to the network, segmentation. That I suspect, as things move to platforms or move to a cloud-based architecture. There's less risk of some point tool that's sitting in your environment that could have a software supply chain security issue that they're bringing to your environment because you're now trusting either fewer vendors that have platforms, or you're relying on a cloud-based solution that has got an enormous amount of scrutiny. I think the research that's going on by the cloud providers, by platform companies, uh, I think will will, and I think chief security officers, as we've talked to them, are really eager. To reduce the surface area, they've got too many point tools. If you have too many point tools, something could go wrong. And it was done in the spirit and the purpose of defense and depth. Let me add more and more moats to my castle because then I'll be more secure. At some point in time, you've lost control of these moats,、uh, and they've become a liability because one of those moats may be insecure. And we've got to rethink security to be a lot more platform oriented, more based on some of these principles like cloud、uh, and AI. Uh, and then, of course, let's say I mean you build with the premise that you are going to get sick. Okay, you are going to get hit、uh, at some point in time. How do you react very quickly to isolate it? According to Sanjay, the more humble you are, the more likely you are to recognize threat actors and prevent cyber crimes. At a technical level, he feels all security should become more platform-oriented and cloud-based. Let's move on to scenario two, ransomware. In this episode, we met Patty, a sixty-something-year-old business owner who was targeted by a ransomware attack. Ransomware is a malicious software that takes over your computer or mobile device and restricts access to your system. Then it demands a fee or a ransom be paid in order for your system to work again. Ransomware is one of the world's most common cyber crimes. In 2021 alone, it's estimated that it will cost over 20 billion dollars in global damages. In case you missed it on episode two, here's Patty telling her story, and Young Wu 
the CEO of Mars Discovery District in Toronto, explaining how easy it is to craft a ransomware attack like the one Patty experienced. There was two numbers. Um, I think there were 888 or 887 or 877. So I called one. He just walked me through a bunch of things and you can see him working away at it. He said that I had a virus and it was Fi virus, Trojan, due to expired security. He said I needed security protection. This is when the money comes involved. Stupidly, I wrote a business check. But here's how I would do it. I would get access to the dark web and I would buy it. And that's the issue I'm basically talking about. The cost of putting on a distributed denial of service attack, you can buy that on the dark web. I think the cost is about $500. The cost to fake a corporate mailbox can be done for about $300. And the cost for fake social media accounts, another $100. So when you think about the cost to do this, almost anybody can decide that they're gonna become a hacker. And when you add that to the fact that, you know, less than one or 2% of hackers are actually caught, much less persecuted. Patty felt like she had no choice. When her computer was taken over, she took action to make sure her year-end accounting files wouldn't be lost. Unfortunately, that action involved a hefty check to a fraudulent threat actor. We asked Sanjay how Patty could have defended herself against this ransomware attack. You know, ransomware is a significant threat, Claudette. But again, I would come back to some basic principles of hygiene for the casual person listening to this. I almost never want to click on an enclosure inside a file if it's a suspicious enclosure, a zip file or some certainly an executable, things of those kinds. And I think the advanced threat protection capabilities inside email from Microsoft or Proofpoint or Mimecast have gotten better at running their ATP algorithms on an enclosure that comes into me to make sure it is a valid PDF. It isn't something you should click on uh, so that it gives me some sanctity. Okay, got it. I think in the walled garden operating systems, iOS is pretty good about this. Android, iOS is probably the best at it. Android's getting better at it. The more open these operating systems were in the past, the reason Windows has been more vulnerable is it's a very open operating system. You could go PowerShell got down all the way to the OS level. With that comes a lot of vulnerabilities. But as these operating systems have gotten better at walling and as they've gotten better at handling privacy, again, Apple's done some phenomenal work at making their, their operating systems from one of the most secure and most privacy-friendly. Uh, I think we're learning a lot about how to make sure that apps are not become receptacles and entry points for these uh, phishing attacks. I mean, to me, the most painful thing you could do is to rob money off a orphan or a widow. I mean, someone who is like in a position where they don't have a lot of money and you see their savings getting raided by some criminal who cyber attacking them and threatening them with ransomware. The scenarios we've explored so far have been geared towards adults, but kids can be impacted by cybercrime, especially as the COVID-19 pandemic causes a surge in online behavior. What can we as parents do to protect and educate our children? To find out, let's rewind to episode four, where we spoke with real kids between the ages of 11 to 17 to learn what they were doing online. 
We also spoke with Director and General Manager of Snapchat Canada, Matt McGowan, to find out how social media platforms are keeping kids safe. I think it's changed a lot with COVID, but uh, it's around eight to 10 hours, I would say, per day. (laughs) So currently, my two go-tos would have to be Snapchat and TikTok. Snapchat's kind of become a way to communicate with friends rather than like iMessage and other platforms. And as for TikTok, it definitely like, especially for like a lot of members of Gen Z, it's been huge during this quarantine, simply because it's just new, fresh content and It's quite interesting, I guess. You get kind of hooked onto it. I think that's important in a world where social media specifically has almost rewarded larger networks. And more and more individuals are accepting connections with those they don't know based on uh, a rather simple profile that could be filled out by a stranger or a bot We hear about this all the time. People connect online, they don't really know who they're connected to. And I must say, it's concerning as a father of two young children. It's something I am always, you know, aware of and, you know, trying to focus on. It's very hard on many of these platforms. So what are Sanjay's tips for how parents can protect their kids from potential cybercrime? I have a 14-year-old daughter and I've got twin 11-year-old boys. They are spending time with devices a lot more than I did. Listen, I think as parents, I'm not here to kind of patronize or give it, but I think we have to watch the amount of device time that our kids are on because is that the best way to learn? And very early on, if they're not careful, we want to make sure that they aren't. I mean, this doesn't have to do with security per se, but it has to do with their privacy. Social media needs to be a lot more monitored for the young folks because there's things they don't need to see at a certain age. The fact that a phone has a camera allows them to share pictures maybe prematurely than an adult. And, you know, once they have a device and parents not there, you don't know what they're potentially doing. So I think as a society, we have to, I'm not going to go to the extreme and say that all social media is bad and all devices are bad. I think this is like a matchstick. Is fire bad? Is it good? If it's used in a bad way, it can burn down a building. If it's used in a good way, it keeps people warm. And this is the age old debate about anything, whether it's a matchstick with fire or technology. Uh, I think the first thing I'd love to see is better controls and regulation that allow our children to grow up in a safe way. Teaching them very early on, again, I'm thinking child, hopefully the same thing applies to my mother as a appropriate child, like don't share your password with anybody. And if you're going to create a password, here are some basic rules. Don't make it something that can be easily done. Don't write it on a piece of paper, but think about uh, something that could be a combination of letters and characters. After hearing all three of these real-life scenarios, Sanjay had some valuable cybersecurity tips and defense strategies. Whether you're a corporation, a small business owner, or a kid online, Sanjay says it's important to remember that anyone can be impacted by cybercrime. He suggests implementing technology and systems that can detect threat actors early, maintaining good digital hygiene, and staying cautious and present every time you're logged on. The stories we heard in this episode illustrate what types of cyber crimes are happening today. But what does the future of cybersecurity look like? And how will technologies like AI play a role in keeping us protected? We asked Sanjay to weigh in. 
think the key is, I think there will be simplifications of platforms. If you look at some of the legacy players like Symantec, I mean, some of them have gone and disappeared. Some of the legacy devices like BlackBerry, people thought that was the only form of security, and they've gone and disappeared. And increasingly, with the notion of cloud and AI and mobile and edge computing, there's a next generation of, uh, of uh, capabilities that incorporate a very distributed, very different way in which you could architect this. So let's take big data and AI. I think there's a lot of similarities. We alluded to this earlier in our conversation between security and healthcare. If we're going to find a cure for certain forms of diseases, whether it's Alzheimer's, whether it's certain forms of cancer or ALS, I think it's because we're able to do AI and data analytics on large amounts of genome data, sequence data that you're able to run these massive algorithms on and get some form of way in which you're able to come up with some uh, cure. And all the healthcare professionals who talk to me say that big data and AI will be the reasons we're able to reason over vast amounts of this uh, life sciences related data. I think the same thing applies in security. The event data, this is not personal data. We're not collecting uh, credit card information or date of birth or social security, but we see a lot of events, okay, us and the other major platforms. And running the AI algorithms over events allows you to correlate possible ways by which a threat could happen. And I think that security analytics done in a very distributed fashion in cloud computing techniques, using some of the modern ways in which AI systems are being built for other problems like retail or for healthcare, can be applied to security. And it's going to be a major breakthrough to allow you to predict ahead of time. The world of AI has come a long way. I mean, think about the fact that we are on the cusp of truly self-driving cars, the way in which retailers and people are able to predict consumer behavior, recommend products to you. This is because of 10 and 20 years. I mean, I wrote uh, parts of my thesis papers when I was a computer science undergrad and then a master's in operations research optimization that I thought at the time were creative. I was reading papers that were incredibly uh, creative in the 1990s. And now all of a sudden that's become the norm. Graph algorithms, a variety of things that make this now applicable to, uh, so I have tremendous confidence in computer science. Here are three key takeaways from our conversation with Sanjay. First, remember that anyone can be breached even a leading cybersecurity firm. By staying humble and integrating cloud-based systems, companies can be more holistic with their cybersecurity efforts. Second, never click on links that seem even remotely suspicious. Many basic softwares and operating systems are improving their detection capabilities. So pay attention to integrated email and text alerts. And third, Educate yourself and your kids about cybersecurity. Instead of taking away their social media or making them fear it, empower your kids to make smart decisions online. The more they know, the safer they can be. I want to give a huge thank you to our guests, Sanjay, Kevin, Patty, Young, and Matt for joining me today. And thank you for listening to C-Suite. If you like what you heard, be sure to leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. I'm Claudette McGowan. Tune in for our next full episode on May 27th. And remember, with over 4 billion of us online, we have to do everything possible 
to keep ourselves connected and protected.